0: I'm Amanda. And I'm Kim. And this is The Department, a podcast about trends and how they define the world around us.
1: I feel like we're really out of roll here, Amanda. Oh,
0: we really are.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're back. We're we're finally podcasting, and we're really trying to dig deeper into everything and really look into the zeitgeist. Um, you know, we're doing some heavy lifting to really assess this new year by actually looking back and looking forward and looking all around us to see the trends that are kind of um, trending, I suppose. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot going on. Um, it's, it's been really interesting after working on the department now since 2020 to see the evolutions of these trends that we've mm-hmm. been talking about.
1: Well, you know, the last few episodes were all about trend predictions, and those are based on insights from personal research. Um, it was, you know, Pinterest trends, um, you know, Predictions based on trending data points, all of those things. Um, This episode, we're actually going to take a little step outside of those predictions and look at consumer trends um, that indicate economic positions in the market landscape. It sounds boring, but it's not. Um, So (laughs) particularly, we're looking at these indicators that a lot of economists use that are weird but true recession trends. So before we kind of get into it, though... I do want to do our weekly reminder to let your friends and family know um, if they're looking for a new podcast to make sure to tune in to us. Uh, the department, if, if you don't remember. Um, second, follow on your preferred streaming service. Third, give us a star rating or review on Apple Podcasts. And if you are looking to join us on social, please follow us on Instagram at underscore the underscore department. It has always been a complicated one, but you know, is what Just it is. That, that is what it is.
0: Until all the other people using the department
1: quit Instagram, this is where we are. This is what we got. <laughs> this is what we got. So and we got some underscores. Um and if you're looking for show notes and image references from this or or any of our other podcasts, please join us on our website. We you know, painstakingly update it every single week, you know, with with the new podcasts. Um, the department.world.
0: I was thinking last week how funny it would have been if we also had the underscores in that, even though we didn't need to. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) We didn't. We didn't, everyone. It's okay. But I was thinking how ridiculous that would be Um, anyway.
1: (laughs) So we touched on this one um, in our last episode, but that threat of a recession has been looming. Yeah. Yeah.
0: not looking forward to it. No. This will be the second one we've lived through.
1: People are saying that it's not going to be as bad if we actually do mm-hmm. fall into a full-fledged recession. Um but no matter what, the threat of financial uncertainty is certainly in the air and with it that uh that always creates its own trends. These like Trends that just sort of start building just basically based on consumer behavior.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think just like on the topic of recession, something Kim and I have been talking about well more than even the past month is like the retail landscape is bad right now. Like everyone is struggling. uh, Like sales are way down to last year. Um, Every sales rep, vendor, Mm -hmm. or other retailer that I talk to is in the same boat and I'm sure you all noticed in December things started going on sale in a way they haven't in the past. So definitely retailers and brands out there are, they're feeling it and they're They're feeling nervous. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, It's a terrible time to work in retail. Um, This being the second I mean, this isn't, we're not even sure if this is a recession, but this would be the second recession I've lived through in my career uh it sucks it's really stressful it's like now you get used to you have to get used to getting yelled at at work every day basically um and it's it's like I can't help but feel that it's here based on what I'm seeing in terms of retail sales but maybe not it could just be that eggs are like ten dollars now you know
1: (laughs) I, I mean I hope they go down
0: yeah yeah um
1: yeah, well, I, you know, economists have their own ways of actually kind of recognizing when a recession is is happening, and so I'm going to actually take them take you through some. Um, and most of these industries have their own signifiers. Um, they're they're basically trends in their own niche that happen during or around the time of a recession. And so I took a, few, a look at them, and I actually. I was surprised to see so many of them. Um, there's a few articles around there that, that kind of talk about these. There was a lot. And so I kind of pulled out the weirdest or the ones that are the most recognized. Okay. Um, just to kind of share with you. So um, one of the most classic ones that you know, you're definitely going to be hearing about now, especially if you follow fashion or beauty, um, is the lipstick effect. And, you know, I wanted to learn a little, little bit more about it. And and if you haven't heard of it now, now's the time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so Juliet Shore was uh, the first person who coined the term in her 1998 book, The Overspent American, which this is, I don't know, Amanda, if you've read this, this is an Amanda special.
0: Oh, yeah, I'm very familiar with this book. It's I five stars. Okay.
1: It, <laughs> it, yeah, it looks pretty fantastic. Yeah. And it's, A treatise on overconsumption in America, I mean, back in 1998, which is amazing. Yeah. Um, And she basically talks about uh, how this overconsumption is plaguing people who continuously find little satisfaction from incessant spending and just chasing more and more consumption in goods and purchasing, but having to work tireless hours to be able to afford Mm -hmm. that lifestyle. So basically just capitalism. Yeah. You know. Um, So, Shore was also a senior lecturer and director of studies, women's studies at Harvard University. Um, She's actually got a lot of different titles and things that kind of follow her around. She's a very smart lady. Um, She writes and lectures widely on issues of work and consumption and found that when money was tight or uncertain, women would increase their consumption on luxury or prestige brand lipsticks that they could wear and apply in public, but then they'll cut back on other luxe beauty products that are used in the privacy of their own home, Mm -hmm. like facial cleansers or eye makeup. So she writes, they're looking for affordable luxury, the thrill of buying in in an expensive department store, indulging in a fantasy of beauty and sexiness, buying Hope in a Bottle, Uh, Cosmetics are an escape from an otherwise drab everyday existence. And that was 1998, you know, when um, going to the mall, going to a department store was actually, you know, a really important part of daily life. um, As opposed to going to Sephora, I'm sure that that's that continues to be an exciting part of of daily life. So um, the trend actually stayed consistent post 9-11. As well as during the Great Recession in 2008, with lipstick sales seeing a boost, according to Estee Lauder. And then what's more is Sephora reported close to a 35% increase in U.S. online sales in 2020. Stats that likely received a boost from those of us working remotely who wanted to be camera ready for all those video calls during lockdown. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh, if this is indeed the category's leading economic indicator, well, then it's true that it truly paints a picture. In 2022 sales, uh, Forbes reports that new data from global market tracking firm NPD Group—that's an exciting tongue twister—finds sales of lipstick and other lip products grew 48 percent in the first quarter over previous years, which is more than twice as fast as other products in the beauty category mm-hmm. and uh, revenues rising 28% in the second quarter. So basically what they're saying is uh, if there is in fact a recession and if in fact the the lipstick indicator is uh, an indicator for economic uncertainty, then it's happening right now. Like we're actually oh, seeing this.
0: Interesting.
1: Okay. In times of recession and other economic stresses, women will indulge in discretionary purchases that provide an emotional uplift without breaking the budget. And that lipstick, you know, that fits the bill, especially if it's a lipstick from a luxury brand.
0: One of the subreddits I follow is, you know, the economy subreddit, and no one ever has mentioned this. Wait, really? And it's, well, I, it's just a bunch of, like, I'm just assuming a bunch of dudes who are, like, fighting with each Uh other more about political things. But it's interesting because, like, every day someone posts a different article that takes a takes a different perspective on whether or not we're going to have a recession. And I think the truth is, like, no one knows for certain. But, like, hearing these indicators, I'm like, come on, dudes. Yeah. There's some evidence here. I mean, it also could just be, like, people are, like, having a hard time right now. But that's, yeah. you know, it's, it, it is a trend that is a lot more noticeable than some of the weird speculation I see on the economic subreddit where people are like, well... I don't know, like with Bitcoin, blah, blah, blah. I don't even know what people are talking about when they say that. I'm like, oh, it seems, seems stressful. But this is one I'm like, I get it. <laughs>
1: you get it. Lipstick. Yeah. yeah. Like women are indulging in little things that they can wear in public mm-hmm. and make them still feel special without necessarily, you know, buying a whole new wardrobe. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually what happens is that it's like um, a 2020 thing where you, you don't see it until – a couple of years down the line, you're like, well, and then in the 2023 recession, you know, they were seeing the, the lipstick indicators all the way in 2022. You know, like people aren't going to, they don't necessarily always notice it until mm-hmm. it's like you're you're like already past it or you're in the middle of it. So um, that's, you know, that's what these indicators end up doing, but people are trying to use them to recognize things a little bit early on. Um, and it's, it is really no surprise that that people are buying more lipstick because there is some, you know, softness with, um, within the economy. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, so a a lot of people are a lot of these, um, the, the beauty industry is noticing that the lipstick sales are growing week by week with prestige brands. Um, and they're taking a bigger share of the sales than the mass market brands. So like they're seeing that, you know, like they're seeing the, um, The writing on the wall, Um, women are also picking up brighter, more dramatic colors this year, which, you know, also has that kind of extravagance to the color. Um, And CNBC actually has a slightly different hot take on this beauty indicator. Um, Instead of lipstick, they actually have noticed that nail polish sales soared during the Great Recession As people skipped that salon and did their nails at home to cut costs. Um, And it was actually obvious at both prestige brands as well as mask market brands.
0: I mean, this checks for me because that's when I was at Urban Outfitters and we built a a massive nail polish business at that point. I, I don't think they sell nail polish at all anymore, but like where it, it grew so fast that we were doing like troughs of it at the cash register, you know, wow. in every color. You know, people would come in and buy 10 of them. It
1: was yeah. huge for us. Yeah, this is the time to get into nail polish, apparently. Yeah, yeah.
0: Interesting.
1: Yeah. Um, and so really that, that term lipstick effect has rolled over into other categories. The theory is that it, you know, if we if we start seeing... These sales of kind of affordable luxuries, which, you know, could even be candles, you know, things that maybe, Mm -hmm. you know, in 1990, 98, weren't necessarily super trendy, now are Um, so different affordable luxuries. We could probably see these indicators starting to trigger now um, as people are buying small affordable luxuries to kind of brighten up the gloom and doom that they're seeing um, in the stock market. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So those home fragrances, soaps, bath bombs—you know—which um, of course you said did t- terribly for you—but you might actually see them next year, potentially taking off again.
0: You know what I think people want. People want to get back into the soap that you put in the bathroom that's shaped like seashells that you never use. Uh- <laughs>
1: <laughs> we, we had we had ones that were shaped like fruit. Oh that never yes! Used.
0: Oh yes! Definitely. My aunt had strawberries. Yes. Oh, yes. I love them. And I can like remember the smell of them.
1: Like, oh, 100%. oh, and the way they
0: felt in your hand. Okay, bring those yes. back, guys.
1: They're like waxy, but like kind of like a little like slightly transparent. It's weird. Did anybody ever
0: actually buy those and use them as hand soap?
1: No, never.
0: And second question: If they weren't using them as hand soap. Were they just not washing their hands?
1: There was different soap. You're right.
0: My grandma also had a pump, I'm remembering now. She had yeah. yeah. Some mm-hmm. soft soap. Classic. Yes, yeah. exactly. Wow.
1: Anyway. All right. So the next indicator I'm going to go on to is called the hemline index. Okay. Um, and some economists have recognized this that have actually gone back way further than the 90s. And this is like literally what economists are bringing up. Um, wow. So the headline in- index is this theory that the lengths of skirts and dresses rise and fall in line with the stocks. So during, <laughs> <laughs> during economic hardships, recessions, and depressions, skirts have historically gotten longer, while in times of a more flourishing economic movement, we have seen those skirts get shorter. And the theory was originally first recognized by economist George Taylor in 1926. Um, And there's actually been quite a few examples through the years that suggest that the hemline index has actually been a rather trustworthy indicator and can even help predict future fashion trends. Mm. And I don't really think that this one's fully ironclad. Yeah. I mean, none of them are, (laughs) but they are interesting to look at. Yeah. and. I do think that, you know, as we get more diverse in our style um, and as style becomes not just more democratic and affordable and just moves so quickly, I think this has become slightly more challenging to prove in the 21st century because <laughs> there's like a million different headlines yeah. that are usually running at once. Um, <laughs> but... Um, you can see it really uh, opaquely in the 20th century as silhouettes often tended to follow more kind of like mono styles based on universal trends.
0: Totally. It just weren't as many options um, because we didn't have all of these other little like trends bubbling beneath the surface because everybody wasn't on like t- Tumblr,
1: you know? Right. And Instagram and yeah. So some of the most notorious illustrations of this indicator really started in the 1920s when the hemlines became more cropped and playful with that flapper look, um, Mm, as well as post-World War I. um, And that brought the Roaring Twenties, which came to a halt in 1929 with the Wall Street crash. Mm -hmm. And it was almost like overnight. As we moved into that Great Depression, skirts literally became just they dropped right to the ankle and became really conservative.
0: Is it cuz we're worried about being cold? I'm <laughs> no I'm serious like we're like oh god it's going to be hard to pay the heating bill now.
1: Is that it why? Could, it, or- it could be I think it's just a, a just a more serious time. Oh yeah. It's just too. like consciously you know not wanting to be as extravagant and right. just being more conservative. Um And then when the West saw some relief in the 1930s as we grew out of the Depression, skirt lengths started to show some shortening again, only to fall right back to the knee at the start of World War II. Um, And then the U.S. recession of 1949 – um, was uh, ushered in by longer skirts of that Dior new look. And as we made our way into the 1960s and the economy was slowly writing itself, we saw the hemlines get shorter and even saw the introduction of the miniskirt. Shorter style stayed at the height of fresh youth-like style until the double-dip recession of the early <laughs> 1980s, which led to power suits with below-the-knee skirts. Um, So there's obviously a lot of other examples, but you can get the picture. And I have some images here that kind of show the Hamline Index as it um, reflects various economic indicators um, and how they changed um, over the 20th century. So interesting. It is. Um, And so a duo of Dutch researchers actually wanted to put this theory to the test in their research paper called... The Hemline and the Economy, Is There a Match? It's a very specific title. Um, (laughs) And in their research of what they call an urban legend, uh, they found that collecting and correlating monthly data from 1921 through 2009, so that was when the other recession was happening, um, the main finding is that the urban legend holds true, but with a time lag of about three years. So hence, the current economic crisis predicts ankle length skirts around 2011 and 2012, meaning that they predicted that longer skirts would become more popular in 2011 and 2012, which was a few years after the 2008-2009 recession. I
0: mean, this totally adds up for me. I remember it it, Mm -hmm. it was real. Yeah.
1: It happened.
0: Yeah, it really and did.
1: Boho maxi skirts and dresses did have a resurgence. hmm So using that theory, and of course, this theory is then the indicator is a little bit late. You know, they're a little bit late to the game uh, mm-hmm. because then you've already been in the recession. Right. So it's not really indicating much. So using that theory, basically, um, we could predict that we would see longer skirts from the 2020 recession mm-hmm. in 2023 and then maybe see... Um, another long skirt revival in 2025. Okay, after the 2022 like da- economic downturn, so we might be seeing a lot of long skirts happening <laughs> in this this um this next century, or in this <laughs> in this century that we're in right now. That's what it's basically saying.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, it makes sense to me. Um, I'm definitely interested to see how this plays out now that I'm aware of it, mm-hmm. because I do think that. Hemlines have been shorter this year than last year. I guess by the time people are listening to this, it's last year. Um, and I personally love when it's a long skirt trend. So I'm, I mean, not that I love a recession at all, um, but I love yeah, a long exactly. skirt. So I guess it's a silver lining. I don't know about that, but
1: it's a, yes, it's a silver lining for people that love long skirts. And of course, you know, we just were talking about in our last podcast that, you know, um, 90s mini skirts are still, you know, a thing. So. Yeah. Yeah. We will see. We will but we see. Also yeah, think that fringe and soft ballet things are going to also. So you never know. We'll see. Yeah. So we might see something in 2023. We might see something in 2025. You never know. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: All right. The next one I think is interesting. It's called the necktie indicator. Okay. Um, and this is kind of a two-parter of indicators. Um, it's on both velocity and volume of sales as well as the silhouette. Okay. And one of the first observations on the necktie index is that in general, the more senior officers of the company wear neckties and the more the meetings, the, the more meetings they attend, especially wearing neckties, the more trouble the company is in. Wow. OK. All right. This, and this is something that economists have, have noticed. So if you, you know, so if you do work in an office and you see a lot of (laughs) neckties, let us know because that's an economic, that's an indicator. And that is happening at the time of, you know, economic trouble. Uh, There's all, this also trickles down, not just exclusively to the C-suite, when there is economic hardship, just more men in general wear ties to build a more professional air as they buckle down to work. Mm. Uh, so, in theory, then, tie sales will increase during times of economic hardship to react to this d- demand to look more professional and to keep your job. So, huh. wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's another indicator about ties, and this is about the silhouette. And it says that um, ties get slimmer during bad times and brighter when the, ec- when the economy then just starts to slowly recover. Um, and as as the message that your tie gives off in the business world, because you know obviously ties are an indicator to humans and to people in the business world of you know you know more minutia
0: mm-hmm.
1: and the correlation to the mood of the economy um, also gives off that. Um, that conversation to all the business people around you. So the more daring the color, the more um, economic success and prowess there are, there is. And the more um, conservatively colored in trend, the more depressed the economy is. Um, and the, you know, that men are trying to create a more, a more of a, a mature and formal statement if they're going to be um, wearing a, a a tie in a in a more economically depressed time period
0: if this is such a world it's like that's foreign to me because i've never worked anywhere where men wore ties so if i see men wearing ties now i'm going to be freaking out you yeah, gotta look she, at it i know it's
1: saying something yeah
0: it's interesting like i have we ever worked anywhere where men wore ties i did i did oh really interesting okay yeah, when, yeah.
1: wow i worked at i worked at short you know in yeah yeah which would have been the perfect place to actually see this demonstrated
0: seriously like
1: what color are ties right now how slim are they how many people are wearing ties you know like what's happening
0: i would ask all of you who do work Mm -hmm. in a place where men wear ties to please report back
1: about what you're seeing please do yeah if you if if you live in a financial district or work in a financial district, send us some pictures. Share your insights. We want to know what the bros are wearing.
0: Yeah. I mean, I just thought they all wore those, like, Patagonia fleece things now. but <laughs> I, know,
1: I know. What well, color
0: fleece they're wearing. Does that tell a story? Dun, well, dun, dun,
1: dun. what we would then say is that they would be stripping off the Patagonia fleece and putting on a suit. Wow, that is spe- actually more, scary. To appear more formal. Wow, yeah. okay. That would be the theory, is that they would be wearing more and more neck- neckties. Hmm. Because the, they're being too casual, they're being too youthful, they need to exude a more formal and mature um, sartorial statement. Wow. Um and so Charlie Allen, a tailor based in North London, said that the impact of economic turmoil on tie design can be traced back through the previous recessions of the 20th century. While post-war Britain and the swinging 60s embraced exaggerated prints and widths of up to five inches, which sounds clownish to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. Five inches <laughs> tie? Down- <laughs> No, I've I seen know. everything. I know. <laughs> the downturns of the 1930s and the 1980s saw sizes reduced to as little as an inch.
0: That's how they got that way? Wow. Interesting. Because I think so many people think skinny tie 80s, like together, right? Yeah.
1: Well, also hipster. That's true. Well, the hipsters are always broke. Everyone that I've dated has been. Nice. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. You're totally right. But I mean, do you remember that, you know, I think it was the, the Heidi Slamane's um Dior look was um it was the skinny tie that became mm, really popular mm. before it came up popular, I think, right around nine eleven. Did Heidi Slamain do nine eleven? No. Did he predict <laughs> it? <laughs> I, he could have predicted or reacted to it. Yeah, I don't know. Um, wow. Imagine yeah. I
0: mean Wow, just thinking now like imagine you're a designer and 9/11 just happened and you have yeah. to try to sell clothes. I mean, you have to change you have to really change the way that you're doing everything. Yeah. I mean, I mean we were so young that it's like we dealt with the collective national trauma, but at least we didn't have to be like, how is this going to affect oh my company or my career? Yes, exactly.
1: Wow. Um All right. The next one, Amanda, you're going to like this one. This one's the underwear effect.
0: Woo! Racy. Is this about how Parade did that Coca-Cola collab?
1: It has nothing to do with Parade. Okay, good. (laughs) (laughs) So the underwear effect is just how it sounds, except it's about men's underwear. And men's underwear sales decline during economic downturns. And in fact, during the 2008 Great Recession, the head of the financial reserve, Alan Greenspan, actually told reporters about this and um, and followed the trend. He actually literally looked at the trend of men's underwear sales, Mm. closely noting that men tend to buy less new undies when the economy is rocky because it's the last item of clothing men will replace, even if it begins to form holes.
0: Yeah, that is true. That is true. Yep.
1: Yep. I would be so curious to, to like, be a fly on the wall of, like, a Bloomingdale's right now and see how men's underwear sales are doing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, seriously. I mean, these are things I think about all the time. These, like, categories that I haven't ever been involved in managing. But that, like, somewhere there's a buyer who is fretting about this. You know,
1: it's like we better. Yeah, we better be careful about how many underpants we bring in.
0: Yeah, it's it's all the guys. Here it comes. We got to cut back. Yeah, cut the sales plan for underwear. Yeah,
1: they would likely know if you are a men's underwear buyer for years, you would know that this was actually probably a pretty uh, a a pretty big um, part of your job is to know exactly how the men's how the economy is doing um, and then buying to that. Yeah, that's wild. So Alan Greenspan actually told NPR correspondent Robert Krulwich, uh, the garment that is the most private is male underpants, because nobody sees it except people in the locker room, and who cares? Sales are usually stable, so on those few occasions where it dips, that means that men are so pinched that they are deciding not to replace underpants. And I did include a few charts for you to look at the Muns underwear sales and how they were affected by the 2008 2009 recession. Mm -hmm. Um, So you can kind of see the dips there. Um, I also included one that is 2016 to 2021. And there was a huge dip in
0: 2020. Wow. So everyone's sitting at home in their holy underwear. Exactly. I mean, this is so interesting because I can trace through my career at least the first ten years of it when we were I was working for a retailer that also sold men's clothing and how we would periodically be like, men's underwear is a big category for us. And then, like a couple of years later, it'd be like, Never mind. Um, and I mean, it was definitely like following this trajectory. I think it's so interesting. It all adds yeah. up to me. I'm like, this this indicator sense. is real. Yeah, yeah.
1: It makes sense, yeah. Just sitting around in your holy underwear. <laughs> I mean, so am I. I. Whatever. <laughs> I mean, yeah, exactly. We we all we all were. Um, and you know, we don't. I don't have any data for 2022, and I am so curious because if this truly, if we are truly going through kind of economic hardships, and in 2022, 2023, I want to see what men's underwear sales are like. I, I thought am you so were going to say,
0: I want to see what men's underwear are looking like because I
1: don't. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to see their actual underwear. <laughs> no, ew. But you know, that is a good, it's a good gift to get men um, next Christmas or because They'll be whatever. needing
0: it. So make a They're note. It. Yeah, yeah. I, when I first started dating Dustin, maybe it was like the first a year, uh, the second Christmas we had together, I bought him like 20 pairs of underwear. For Christmas, I was like, "Here you go, smart years of underwear," and then years. like we just replaced them like a, I don't know, like maybe a year ago. So, <laughs> <laughs> I
1: mean, you know, I mean, it's it, it's an afterthought for guys. For it women, is. you know, it is. We yeah. definitely. You know, women definitely consider their their lingerie door. I mean, it's got a whole other name, lingerie.
0: I mean, there's whole stores that just sell underwear, mm-hmm. you know? Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> okay, so this is another one. And um, I don't know how much, pardon the pun, stock <laughs> –
0: <laughs> oh what Is like an economic pun oh geez. yes it was
1: that was an economic pun um i put in this one and it feels a little bit like chasing the groundhog here but um one of the most unconventional economic indicators revolves around the sports illustrated swimsuit issue cover model okay and i read about this multiple places you know because there's a lot there's a lot of people reporting on these weird things um and the theory suggests that the u.s stock market has a Great year, a booming year when the cover model is American and then underperforms in the years that the cover model is non American. <laughs> I Not think this is this just up.
0: superstition. I think we've <laughs> okay, we've moved on here to superstition
1: time. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you're just imagining, like, all these, like, economists and, like, financial dudes running out to get the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue and telling their wives, well, this is just so I can understand what the economic indicator is. <laughs> oh,
0: jeez.
1: <laughs> yeah. I don't know about that one. Well, this one's a little bit more relevant. Okay. Um I call this I, – I actually made this name up. I call mm. this the Froza Index Um, because the grocery store has its own indicators, Uh, you can likely imagine um, that frozen pizza can act as a financial scorecard. And Mm. the same can actually be said for canned beans, boxed mac and cheese, as consumers cut costs by replacing delivery with frozen pizza and mac and cheese, and they reduce costly cuts of meat with canned beans.
0: I mean, none of this surprises me. We've been living through this since the pandemic began even,
1: you know? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean remember you um during the pandemic you couldn't get a frozen pizza to save your life.
0: No, it's true. And you know, it was interesting. I as you know, I get onto all these subreddits where I have no business being. And one I was reading was the Pizza Hut subreddit, which is uh, particularly a deep cut for me because I can't even eat wow. anything from Pizza Hut. It's like they don't have anything <laughs> gluten-free. Um, oh. And people were talking about how out of control Pizza Hut prices are now. Like They are. Someone was like, I ordered two pizzas <laughs> <I> ordered <them. laughs> and like some wings and my bill with tip and everything was $80. And I... Yes. You, I was like, oh, my God, you could buy eight nice frozen pizzas, like fancy yes. frozen pizzas for that. Like
1: Amy's, Amy's frozen yes, pizza.
0: Yes, yes. I,
1: I I ordered some pizza. I have the Pizza Hut app, and every once in a while, it's really a nostalgic thing. <laughs> yeah. And luckily, Neil also loves Pizza Hut. Um, And I usually order a couple of pizzas, and then I freeze them. Mm, like, I freeze. Yeah, it's, it's genius. But, yeah, they charge for uh a, they charge a, a delivery fee and then every there's just like all these weird fees that just it's just like you know any of these delivery apps now yeah and yeah. it's extremely expensive it's like 60 dollars to get two pizzas
0: it's ridiculous i will say uh little caesar is still a hot deal though if you really need a cheap pizza this is what dustin tells me <laughs> it's, it's hot
1: and ready they like there to you say. go although
0: dustin i guess he, we we passed this uh, Little Caesars every once in a while, which I've never been to. I can't. They don't have gluten free pizza either. Uh, and Dustin had a really traumatic experience there a few months ago, where he ordered a pizza from there to pick up. <laughs> got in line. I guess I was out of town or something. I was traveling for work. And he so got in mad. line. So he gets. They had like a drive through <laughs> where you pick it up. And he was waiting forever, and he was like, oh, my God, I got the notification that the pizza's ready. Now it's just getting cold, you know, all of these things. <sighs> He's sweating. So it's almost his turn, and the car <laughs> that was at the window getting its pizza breaks down. Oh, my God. So no one can get their oh pizza. No. <laughs> <laughs> And every time we pass it, he tells me that story. But I still think that, like, you know, it's a hot deal. So go to go to Little Caesars. They've got you during a recession. I bet Little Caesars sees a massive boost during a recession.
1: Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Not shockingly, in 2009, uh, Kraft posted an increase um, in sales uh, as consumers turned to DiGiorno and box macaroni. DiGiorno is now-
0: fancy. <laughs>
1: I do not like DuJourney. No, me neither. I do not. It's nothing like delivery. No, (laughs) but isn't
0: that their slogan? Yes, Uh, and it's
1: disgusting. I don't like it at all. Um, But apparently, yeah, they had a really good year in 2009. Um, And then, of course, also during 2009, the value of baked beans soared by 23% in the UK as consumers fell back on the staple instead of going out for dinner. Well...
0: I am like number one baked beans fan here, so I get it.
1: <laughs> are are you? Yes. What do you? How do you prepare your baked beans? From a can on the stove.
0: <laughs> but what what do you serve with it? Well, I like to do like a British style breakfast where you have like oh. some scrambled eggs and you know baked beans, and then like I don't mm. know maybe I'll, like mix like sauté some vegetables or something. But when I was a kid, and this is like. Me, if I'm having like a, a, you know, I'm like having a really hard time if I make this for myself for dinner. My favorite meal as a child was to, you know, because latchkey child, I was pract- I was at home all the time by myself to make baked beans, but then also make Kraft macaroni and cheese and mix them together. Oh. Oh. <laughs> try it, wow. try it for yourself. Mm-hmm. You'll never go back. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I think that. All of this is going to be much more popular than ever. And I would recommend if anyone is into the stocks that they invest in Kraft Mm
0: -hmm. because they
1: are the largest um, owners of frozen pizza and mac and cheese. And those are just going to be huge businesses in 2023 well especially with the added costs of oh delivery. my god
0: i mean you and i talked about this a couple of episodes ago where like i just to me getting food delivered is too luxurious at this point it's insane i mean just all the fees and the food itself is so much more expensive it just is it's too much we haven't done delivery since we moved to austin because it's way it's way too expensive here even takeout is just so expensive mm-hmm. um I also will say that companies like Kraft, they make a lot of really nostalgic foods because for Gen X and Millennials and Gen Z, a lot of these packaged foods are very nostalgic for us and Mm -hmm. they're comforting. So if you're having a hard time, if you just need, you're going to go make some Kraft macaroni and cheese. Or like I've had friends, there's that one pizza that is all what used to be like $3 or something. I can't think of the name of it. It's terrible. It's like- Tombstone? No, it's even cheaper than Tombstones. Even cheaper than that, it comes in a box, and it's like the mm. cheapest pizza money can buy. And uh, you know, I have friends who like that's their go-to if they're having a bad time. Here, I'm going to look this up. What's the cheese cheapest frozen pizza? Tombstone's
1: my favorite.
0: Ah, uh, yeah, Tombstone to me is very classic. Or you get your oh, I know it's is it Totino? No, is it Totino's?
1: Oh, like Totino's pizza rolls? Yeah, um, well, Totino's I think is owned by. It was Kraft or Nestle.
0: I think like um, Totino's party pizza is like this really thin pizza that is like $2. Yes. Oh, okay. um, and I like that's one of those things. I mean, that takes me back for sure. Same thing with Tombstone. I remember when Tombstone came out, it was like elegant. Because when we were kids, the pe- frozen pizzas were bad. Okay. Yeah. None of you know what we've they been were. through
1: with frozen pizza. <laughs> I actually did a lot of research on Tombstone which, because it's from Wisconsin. Oh,
0: interesting.
1: And it, the reason it's called Tombstone was because it was actually from a bar. Oh. Um, and it was across the street from a graveyard.
0: Oh, wow. I always yeah. thought it was somehow tied into that movie about Doc Holliday. <laughs>
1: no, it has nothing to do. Have you not been to Tombstone? No, I have The actual, oh, it's actually really fun. Oh, is it That's fun? Not, do um, they serve tom- yeah.
0: Tombstone pizza there?
1: basically i mean all the food there is weird um but it's it's a really cool kitschy um it's like the real tombstone anyway
0: oh anyway frozen pizzas when we were a kid were rough they mm-hmm. were all really thin and weird um tombstone was probably the fanciest it was like a new it was it's like a totally different kind of texture i
1: think and it's real cheese they used real yeah cheese.
0: yeah but like i think all of us grew up eating these things and like It's the same thing with pizza rolls. Like, no one's Mm -hmm. eating pizza rolls to have a gourmet experience. It's like, oh, that, like, flips a switch in my brain that makes me feel
1: comforted. You know? (laughs) Yes,
0: exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's like they haven't really changed the recipe. I assume that. They
0: probably did to cut costs. but Slightly. But in a way that we won't
1: be aware of. (laughs) And now the last thing. And this one's not going to come as much of a surprise. And I did not cover all of the trends. There are a bunch more mm-hmm. um, that narrate how consumer spending is affected by the economy, like haircuts and dry cleaning, movie theater tickets, even skyscrapers. Um, but do we you know, like start
0: tearing them down or something? We're, we're,
1: <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Oh, well, they. <laughs> you know, I didn't really dig into it, but I think that they get taller during times of like booming economy. Makes
0: sense. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah,
1: more and more being built. Um, and so you kind of you know, recognize it. And the, there's less and less haircuts. People um steer clear clear of di- dry cleaning. They steer clear of going to the movies. Um, you know, pretty obvious indicators. You know that you don't really think about. But one of the most reliable indicators, according to economists, is champagne sales.
0: Mm. You mean like Andre? Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, just no. Not like Andre. The New York <laughs> The New York Times even reported that with it's got 90% accuracy that the amount of French champagne that Americans consume has predicted the average American income one year later. And with good reason. So champagne is the universal signifier of celebration and good times, as well as a luxury splurge product. So it makes sense that consumers uh, pop open bottles when they feel financially confident and swap down to other libations when times are tougher. Uh, Champagne consumption rose to 23.2 million bottles in 2006. Uh, before crashing to just about half that by 2009, according to Bloomberg. Wow. Um, You know, and the Nielsen IQ data indicate that in 2022, sales of sparkling wine have been down every month from the previous year. So that definitely has a pretty obvious indicator
0: I mean, it's interesting to me because, you know, another thing, If we, I'm sure if we could see this on a line graph, we would see a similar thing, is that, like, you know, champagne is a big part of, like, brunch culture. Yes. And I guarantee people are not going out for brunch this year. Yes. You know, um, it's probably so expensive, and restaurants are really struggling anyway, and people probably don't feel safe in all situations doing that. And I think everybody also has, like, gotten really accustomed to just, like, Being at home, in a weird way, Mm -hmm. I think about going back to my old life, which I haven't had in a long time, where I'm always hanging out with people and I start to get anxiety.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I do too. Yeah. I absolutely 100% agree. Mm -hmm. So what can we take away from all these indicators, Amanda? Well, if you go to the grocery store and you see the pizza aisle looking a little slim pickings, or if you see grocery carts full of beans and Kraft mac and cheese, we might be heading toward a recession. And actually, I did go to the grocery store recently, and the pizza aisle was looking a little slim. Yeah, me too. Me too. So that's already, you're seeing some indicators. And then if you go to work and you see more and more ladies painting their lips red, uh, while an increasing number of men swapping their polar fleece vests for button-ups and ties, um, and last year's imported French champagne toast is swap for some hard seltzers or domestic Prosecco we might be heading into a recession.
0: <laughs> wow. Or not. <laughs> or not. I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's hard to say. I mean, I definitely think you know, beyond like macroeconomic trends right now, a lot of people are feeling it, right? Yeah. Like groceries being so expensive, rent going up. Gosh, one of my friends, her rent went up $500 last year, Ooh. and her landlord tried to raise it another $500 this year, and so she had to move. That's not I cool. Mean, yeah, well here in Austin, here in Texas as a whole, there are not a lot of regulations that prevent that protect renters unfortunately. But I mean like with housing becoming so expensive, groceries becoming so much more expensive, what's left after that? You know, I don't even yeah. what about people who have to get childcare, oh you know? My gosh. Like it's just it just right. gets worse and worse, you know, with with weather becoming so especially the past couple of years being just so extreme people are seeing their utility bills being a lot higher i mean it's when you after you buy the things that you need to exist it's like what's left and yeah. what do you treat yourself
1: with so i think well also for, th- you're not even seeing it reflected in any of the salaries salaries are are barely no. increasing or oh, you yeah. know you know, God forbid you're on unemployment. That's been the same for years. I mean, yeah, how seriously. are you supposed to, to live on that?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that more and more we're all becoming more aware of the inequities, like yes. both social and economic here in the United States and just, you know, in the world as a whole. Um, but I think right now we're getting into like peak everything is going wrong. Yes. Did you watch White Lotus? You yes, did, right? I did. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Something that I kept thinking about from White Lotus, among many things, was the one guy, the British guy. What was his name? Wait, which White Lotus? The first one. The new one. The new one. Have you seen the new season? Yes, I have. Season two. Okay. What was the guy? He was like the British guy. The young one. Yeah. What was his name? Oh, I,
1: I couldn't tell you.
0: Anyway, he was having that conversation with the girl where he was saying, you know we live in the best time to be alive in the history of humankind. Like, so why not enjoy it, right? He's like, you know, we aren't out there like dying of cholera and, you know, living in caves and we're not in wars, although that's not true either. I mean, he was saying like, actually it's like a pretty great time to be alive. And I was like, you know, it's really hard to have that perspective sometimes, but I'm going to try to have it a little bit more.
1: Yeah, it's true. Feels
0: things feel hard. Things
1: things were hard especially if you lived during these kind of happier not happier but more financially free times like you know 2000 let's say 2012 you know 2013
0: <laughs> yeah or yeah.
1: the 90s you know where there was just le- way 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 less to worry about but really there actually probably was quite a few things to worry about
0: yeah i think so too i think that our parents were probably worrying about a lot of things mm-hmm. that we weren't um it is it is such i mean i suppose that is what it is to be a human, um, but is is difficult times and things to worry about. But yeah, it is it is hard right now. Um, if you're feeling like sad or uh nervous, anxious, uh just know that you're not alone. not and that alone. we can all get together and eat craft macaroni and cheese or off brand <laughs> and baked beans and I'll be there for you.
1: Yes, exactly. <laughs>
0: Mix it together. Seriously,
1: guys, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> great hot tip thanks amanda hot
0: tip yeah good gourmand over here <laughs> all right well i guess that's all we have for this week um so thank you kim that was very educational um i can't wait to hear what everybody else is seeing around them mm-hmm. um send your pictures of empty pe- frozen pizza aisles to yeah us. and if
1: you see any other recession trends let us know
0: yeah. Yeah. And what are your thoughts on the recession? You think mm-hmm. it's coming, not coming? Do you not care? You're, are you like, well, life is hard anyway? Who cares? I don't know. Tell us <laughs> yeah, all about exactly. it. All right. All right. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Bye bye.